Hello and welcome. I'm Pastor Vincent Grissom, and this is Applying God's Word, a teaching ministry from the Word of God. This is study number 72 I've titled, Accepting the Call of God. Let's begin today in Judges chapter 6, verses 1 through 17. Verse 1. The Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord, and for seven years he gave them into the hands of the Midianites. Because the power of Midian was so oppressive, the Israelites prepared shelters for themselves in mountain clefts, caves, and strongholds. Whenever the Israelites planted their crops, the Midianites, Amalekites, and other eastern peoples invaded the country. They camped on the land and ruined the crops all the way to Gaza and did not spare a living thing for Israel neither sheep, nor cattle, nor donkeys. They came up with their livestock and their tents like swarms of locusts. It was impossible to count them or their camels. They invaded the land to ravage it. Median so impoverished the Israelites that they cried out to the Lord for help. When the Israelites cried out to the Lord because of Median, he sent them a prophet who said, This is what the Lord the God of Israel says, I brought you up out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. I rescued you from the hand of the Egyptians, and I delivered you from the hand of all your oppressors. I drove them out before you and gave you their land. I said to you, I am the Lord your God. Do not worship the gods of the Amorites, in whose land you live, but you have not listened to me. The angel of the Lord came and sat down under the oak in Ophrah that belonged to Joash, the Abyssalite, where his son Gideon was threshing wheat in a winepress to keep it from the Midianites. When the angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon, he said, The Lord is with you, mighty warrior. Pardon me, my Lord, Gideon replied, but if the Lord is with us, why has all this happened to us? Where are all his wonders that our ancestors told us about when they said, Did not the Lord bring us up out of Egypt? But now the Lord has abandoned us and given us into the hand of Midian. The Lord turned to him and said, Go in the strength you have and save Israel out of Midian's hand. Am I not sending you? Pardon me, my Lord, Gideon replied, but how can I save Israel? My clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least in my family. The Lord answered, I will be with you, and you will strike down all the Midianites, leaving none alive. Gideon replied, If now I have found favor in your eyes, give me a sign that it is really you talking to me. Okay, so let's break this down. For the fourth time Israel sinned, and God handed them over to their enemies, this time to the Midianites. God chastens his people's sins. This familiar pattern of sin followed by chastening continued in Israel. We should be aware that God still uses this pattern of sin followed by chastening with us today when that sin is unconfessed and not repented of. 
So once again, Israel's predicament was a desperate one. The Israelites were hiding in caves in verse 2. Their enemies would invade at the time when Israel were sowing their seed. Then, since a small amount of seed was still planted despite the attacks, they would attack again at harvest time in verse 3. It was a deliberate policy full of hatred designed to reduce Israel to extreme poverty and weakness. When the Midianites invaded, Amalekites and the other eastern people joined in. Together the enemies came in vast numbers to devastate the land in verse 4 and 5. Israel was in a joyless and distressing situation. It was God's way of putting pressure on the people to get them to pray in verse 6. When we slip into prayerlessness, God is able to drive us to prayer. Our troubles exert pressure on us and might lead us to pray as never before. God prepares the way for restoration by sending prophecy. The nation's turning to idolatry has been mentioned three times before in chapters 3 and 4. On those occasions, God simply rescued them. But now he first sends a prophet in verse 7. The prophet doesn't rebuke them too strongly. God simply reminds them of what he has done. He delivered them from bondage, released them from oppression, and gave them Canaan in verse 8 and 9. He wanted them to show their gratitude by not worshiping the gods of the Amorites who lived in Canaan. But they did not heed God's demand in verse 10. They are sinning against grace, sinning against his amazing mercy. God eventually raises up a rescuer. God calls Gideon in verse 12. Since God's gracious gifts and calling are irrevocable, God does not take back the gifts he has given or disown the people he has chosen. For God does not change his mind about whom he chooses and blesses as we learned last time. Gideon, God's instrument here, is an undistinguished person going about his regular duties. An angel appears. It is the angel of the Lord, the angel who specially represents the Lord himself. Gideon has taken his wheat to a wine press, a hollow in the ground where he hopes that he will not be discovered by any invading Midianites. Normally a farmer would take wheat to be threshed out in the open countryside, but the Midianite danger made that impossible. Now here are a few things to take note of. When God calls us, he calls us out from where we are and treats us not as we are, but as we shall be. God treats Gideon not as he is, but as the military hero that he will be. The angel speaks to Gideon, the Lord is with you, you mighty warrior, in verse 12. Actually, Gideon seems to be anything but a mighty warrior. He is hiding from the Midianites. He is perplexed and resentful about Israel's suffering, in verse 13. He is skeptical thinking God has simply abandoned Israel in verse 14. God considers Gideon to be a mighty man of valor. Actually, he's not that yet, but he will be. And again, God is dealing with Gideon not in terms of what he is, but in terms of what he will be. So when God calls us, he treats us totally in grace. God's call disregarded Gideon's sinfulness. 
Gideon was quite rebellious and cynical in the way that he, in which he answered God. He was in a bitter mood, but God took no notice of that whatsoever. We are called with a holy calling, but it is not because of anything we have done, but because of God's own purpose and grace. Salvation comes to us in the same way. When we trust in Jesus, God says, I pronounce you righteous. We are actually not righteous in ourselves at the time God saves us, but God looks ahead to what we shall eventually be. In heaven, we shall be totally sinless. But when we come to faith in Jesus, God considers that righteousness as ours right away. Justification is God's treating us not as we are, but as we shall be. Also, we may know we are being called by God when we find God steadily insisting on his will. God does not argue with Gideon. When God's call comes to us, we find that God is gently compelling. Go in the strength you have and save Israel. Am I not sending you? He says in verse 14. Gideon does not feel he has much strength. He is hoping no Midianites will find him in his winepress. But God's call is enough. Go in the strength you have, says God. When God calls us, he disregards weakness. Gideon feels inferior and weak. Manasseh is not known for its military heroism. Gideon's clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and Gideon is the weakest person in his family, he says in verse 15. But that doesn't matter to God. God still insists that Gideon must be the rescuer. The enemies of Israel, the Midianites, will be thoroughly defeated in a single event. When God's call comes, the beginning of the work is to be at peace with him. God's assurance begins with Gideon's asking for a miraculous sign. If you are really choosing me to do this work, show me some kind of sign that you really are sent from God, he asks in verse 17. We too can feel inadequate for the work God has called us to do and ask for assurance. He wants the angel to accept the sacrifice. So continuing from verse 18 through 24, we read that Gideon goes and prepares a meal offering. The angel tells him where to put the meal in verse 20. Then he consumes the meal with fire and disappears from sight in verse 21. The angel turned the meal into an offering made by fire, showing that he was not a man who needed meat, but the Son of God, who was to be served and honored by sacrifice. Gideon is stunned. He has seen God in verse 22, and it's well known that no one can see God and live, verse 23. But it's all right. He has not seen the fullness of God's glory. The angel has been visually representing God in a way that is safe for Gideon. Gideon is reassured that there is peace between him and God. So Gideon built an altar to the Lord there and called it, The Lord is Peace, in verse 24. There is no blessing in serving God unless it begins with our being personally reconciled to him. Such peace with God comes with a sacrifice, the blood of our Lord Jesus Christ. The Lord is peace for us, and we should always be ready to serve him and follow the commands he puts on our heart. 
when we accept the call of God, He always equips us for the work to which He has called us to do.